this week on Forward. Philanthropy has not solved a real problem in a long time. There, you can count on one hand how many times traditional philanthropy, which means you giving money to charity, has actually solved a problem. Now, I don't mean a symptom. I don't mean- It's done good. Yeah, we people are hungry and we feed them. That's yeah. a symptom, you're treating the symptom. But I mean cure. Has philanthropy ever cured hunger? Absolutely not. The average corporate corporation gives 1% of their profits to charity a year, which is a lot, don't get me wrong. Like they're giving, the fact they're giving they're anything zero, yeah. is, is fantastic, but it's not fundamental to anything they do. What this is a way to do is for a corporate to get involved with helping that nonprofit you love uh, and care about. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, the man, my former co-host and former campaign manager. You know him as Big Coat Guy. Zach Grauman is back with us. We're back, man. Hi, everybody. So, Zach, the thing on everyone's mind is, where have you been? What have you been up to? Now, I know the answers to these questions, uh, but where have you been and what have you been doing? So I guess you have to lead with this because it's a priority in life. But I got married. Whoa! Then, as you know, Zach is a newlywed. Does he still have that newlywed glow? Got the glow. That energy. Got a ring. I would say the biggest change in getting married is um, uh, wearing a ring. As a guy, I never done that. So that's a bit of takes a bit of getting used to, and still does. And trying not to fiddle with it. And then the other one is introducing Carly as my wife to people. You know Weird. I mean? Like it's very. Oh, this is my, hey, this is my wife. Whoa. I haven't, you know, like saying that out loud. You're an adult. Is a pretty, it's a bit of a shock. And I imagine most people who've been married, like have felt it, especially if you did it later in life. Um, but yeah, man, got married. We got married in Manchester, Vermont, where Carly, Carly's essentially from. She's from the town next door and her parents live in Manchester now. So uh, it was gorgeous. We had, uh, it rained, it downpoured for about 10 minutes the whole weekend and it was literally during the ceremony just during yep, the ceremony. i was there <laughs> uh andrew's there standing up next to me it was fun it was really fun it was a wonderful weekend um i do he recommends getting married for i us. recommend getting married i recommend doing yeah, a recommend, big party he recommends, i don't recommend spending a ton of money on it i mean he know, recommends marrying the love of your life and having a big party having a big party it is fun to have a lot of love in the room it's stressful and it's expensive so i don't there's probably ways we could have done Less stress, less money, um, but we had a blast. We really did. Whatever, great. man. The memories Never last forever. Man. The Never credit did. card bill will eventually go away. Will eventually go away. What's that book? Die with zero. Do you have him on? Die. With, of course, I have. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a memory dividend. If you listen, Mr. For Perkins. The deep cuts of this podcast, listeners. Memory dividend. It'll pay dividends. Some. And good. this. And the wedding was a Yang twenty twenty reunion. There were dozens of us there, uh, and that was a blast in itself. That was fun. We had Jermaine was there. I hadn't seen Jermaine really since the campaign, so we got a big Jermaine Johnson bear hug. Uh, he and his wife were there. It was fun. It was really fun. We had a big campaign crew. The campaign staffers stayed in a house on site, which was kind of fun, and it, of course, was where they held the late night multiple times. So, And that's where Yang 2024 was born. <laughs> was con- <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about your political future. That's... That's part oh, of the no, course after K, a couple I mean, drinks. Yeah, you, I mean, you get a like, bunch is he going to run again? Like, I don't know. You get a bunch of Yang alums in. Oh, yeah. Only, have, only one person knows, and you're looking at them. Yeah, that's um, true. Now, <laughs> uh, now, wedding planning is a lot. 
Uh, um, but obviously, that isn't all you've been up to. So to frame this a little bit, uh, before Zach managed my presidential campaign, he started a nonprofit called Suit Up for underprivileged kids. It helps get kids exposure to professionals and get a sense of what's out there so they have aspirations that are more uh, direct and immediate than, uh, let's say, becoming a pro athlete or entertainer, which mm -hmm. is highly visible to these kids. And after starting Suit Up, uh, you learned something about a problem that now uh, we're trying to solve. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to be here because I, um, I got something we're working on. I think y'all may find interesting. A couple of you may find very interesting, um, depending on the causes and charities you support. But it's something we've never, we've only like loosely unpacked, and I, I think it's good to unpack. Is basically what's broken about our nonprofit and philanthropic world. Um, cause Andrew and I've spent, we've both spent a lot of time in there and it affects time. all of us cause everybody gives, um, the vast majority if of us you don't give, give the charity. An asshole. Um, and assholes who don't we give. just kind of assume these things about <laughs> giving that are really wrong. And so, um, I grew up, Andrew, I, um, I've always been interested in this. My, my dad was an engineer, but my mom was a teacher. So I was always interested in like for profits and nonprofits, kind of like public and private intersecting. Um, I was a public policy major in college. Um, and then actually when I graduated, I had two job offers. One was to do Wall Street, which I ended up doing. Um, but the other was Teach for America to go teach. I got a job offer to do teach special needs kids in post-Katrina New Orleans. So like frontline, save the world, like my mom. What know? year was that? That was 2010 when I, gra I graduated in 2010. So I remember like look on Duke's campus, like walking around being like, I hated this decision. I can go make money and get out of student loans. So I like get out of debt and make money, but not like love my impact. Or I could go literally a version of saving the world. But I would, I was looking at like not getting out of debt for decades. You're making nothing in a really tough area in New Orleans. Um, and I imagine for those of you listening, it's probably a decision, a version of a decision you've had in your own life where I can go, like doing well and doing good are kind of separate. Like you can do one or the other. It's tough to do both. Um, and I know you've had that when you, I mean, you you sold your company. You're like, now I can do good, you know? Or I guess you tried with your charity, charity star, star giving. Star star giving. giving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I started a nonprofit that I ran for uh, six and a half years or so. So uh, we had parallel journeys, though I started Venture for America and worked there full time, whereas you somehow managed to start a million dollar plus nonprofit uh, while holding down a day job, which is pretty stunning because it certainly took everything I had to get Venture for America to that level, and mm -hmm. I didn't have a, a demanding job I was balancing. So when you hit Wall Street, um, you actually found the most wholesome thing a Wall Streeter could do, which is you worked in the philanthropy practice, yeah. which is advising wealthy people how to give their money away. And so you're interfaced with a bunch of nonprofits and in so doing, you kind of learn the limits of the space, which is one thing I learned uh, by running a nonprofit. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I say to folks when I'm thinking big uh, is, look, you're talking about uh, now $24, $25 trillion economy. Mm -hmm. The biggest nonprofits in the world operate at uh, maybe a billion dollar level. Correct. And that would be highly, highly unusual. Like the vast majority of nonprofits are operating – at the zero to $10 million range, let's yeah, say. Yep. And so if you're trying to reformat a 
for a $25 trillion economy, there is no way to do so from the nonprofit sector. Uh, the only way to do so would be to get a hold of the federal government, which is why I ran for president, yep. to try and do that. Um, but you also drew similar conclusions based upon advising all these philanthropists. Yeah. So here's the gig. So I'm started, I started in this like corporate, it was a training program, and I ended up in corporate strategy. And there were a couple of things. I started volunteering to get my Save the World kick. I joined this school board down in uh, near Coney Island, like middle school kids, lower income area. And we go, I'm at like the board meeting. We had done like our annual survey of the kids and we ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're all like, the answers I got were pop star and an athlete, essentially. Um, it was like a large majority. It wasn't doctor, teacher, lawyer, some of the basics or entrepreneur, et cetera. It was kind of what they knew. And here I was like 23-year-old kid, like working on Wall Street, college grad. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And these kids didn't even know what they could be. They didn't even know their options. It was somewhat heartbreaking and also really jarring. Um, and then the second thing was that in the corporate world, where we sucked at philanthropy, we sucked at our, I called it our daily volunteer days. We would go like build poorly constructed houses. Imagine a bunch of like white collar, like data nerds, Paint like, stuff, painting crap. Pa painting and, stuff like, that had to be repainted after you we left. Have, we, scraped, we scraped barnacles off the side of the Intrepid in the middle of August, which is the, the boat museum on the Hudson here. It was awful. It was a disaster. So... Started suit up on the side, basically like I can run UBS's, like my team's volunteer day. And we brought, basically brought my, uh, my team into to our, my school in Coney Island. Um, and we did like a Shark Tank light, like a one day business competition. We said to the kids, you're CEO of Nike today. You get to solve a real problem for that company. So you had to design a new shoe and pitch it. And uh, there's a finance component and a marketing component. Winning team got real money. Turned out the kids loved it. They learned all the things they could be. They learned about certain career options. They got really natural mentors. And UBS loved it because it was way better than picking up trash. Turns out Pimco called me a couple weeks later. Like word of mouth got out. The next thing you know, I have a business on my hand, line of social enterprise. Um, and that's how I got into what was called the client philanthropy advisor at UBS. Because I was like, should I quit my job and run this nonprofit? Still not I'd pay that well. Um, but I love it. It's, it needs to exist. And my boss, I was really fortunate at the time, my boss said, hey, we have a philanthropy team. I don't know anything about it, but it now reports to me based on our fifth reorg this year. Like It's kind of a thing we do on Wall Street. Uh, why don't you check it out? So I ended up running our client philanthropy advisory team, which meant that I helped really wealthy people give money to charity. So I was 25 years old, and you had to have $100 million liquid to get a meeting with me, which is an insane statement. Um, yeah, you're talking about billionaires. That's insane. And I'm 25. And my, I'm actually, this was the craziest part. And this is what we're talking about. I'm actually qualified to do this because I had actually got my hands dirty in this space. And I learned yeah. a lot more than some you, of these billionaires. Oh, you, you, really you, you, you knew a lot more than the average philanthropist. Which was crazy. How to um, actually and, deliver results on the and, and Well, that's what I learned is that philanthropy, I'm going to say this. Philanthropy has not solved a real problem in a long time. There, you can count on one hand how many times traditional philanthropy, which means you giving money to charity, has actually solved a problem. Now, I don't mean a symptom. I don't mean... It's done good. Yeah. We've, people are hungry and we feed them. That's yeah. a symptom. You're treating the symptom. But I mean cure. Has philanthropy ever cured hunger? Absolutely not. Um, and you could go down the list. The big two that philanthropy has actually solved, I want to give them their flowers, where do, malaria... Um, main too, distributing yeah. malaria vaccines. I'll give credit to the Gates Foundation before Ebola. Was that 2017 and 18? That range. Uh, malaria was legitimately 
on a very, very clear path to be wiped off the planet. So Malaria No More and a couple of great organizations, really, really strong, um, like vaccine distribution, essentially, and vaccines in general. Uh, philanthropy dollars have funded a lot of that. So give their flowers there. And then the second one is our national 911 network. We used to have an emergency hotline um, system that was based on states. So Connecticut had one, Vermont had one. But if you crossed over state borders and you're a Connecticut resident, you get injured in Vermont, it was kind of a hot mess. So private family foundations actually got together and made our national 911 network. And so private and that's how it should work. It doesn't. But how it should work is donors, private donors and wealthy families invest in a kind of a risky social enterprise that's supposed to help people. And then if it works, government can step in and kind of systemize it and scale it. Other than that, guys, most things don't work. Think of any problem you think of or have in this country and has not been solved by charity. That does not stop us from donating and from nonprofits to keep asking you for money. Yeah, yeah, the nonprofits do good work. I mean, this is my experience at Venture for America. Really proud of everything we did. Um, but one reason I ran for president was that I actually started Venture for America because I wanted to create a functional economy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which and, sounds like I should start a nonprofit. Like yeah. I want to help people. <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and so and I determined that in order to start a functional economy, you would need to change a lot of things that the non a nonprofit never will be able to. Yes. Uh, and so you need to have a functional government. And so I'm still on the functional government train. I believe it's the highest leverage thing we can do, even though. It's very difficult and arduous, uh, um, but it's the only genuine answer. And uh, one of the things I suggest to people, by the way, a lot of philanthropists are wising up to this. Yeah. It's like, look, let's say you're going to pump millions of dollars into education. Uh, like, you know, what's not going to change is our education and all outcomes unless you actually had a better uh, educational system. Yeah. How do you get a better educational system? This similar with climate change. It's like, hey, you're going to put millions of dollars into climate change. You know what would help with that? Like a government that yeah. was uh, doing various things. <laughs> so, this, so this becomes the highest leverage move you can make. Even though, again, like people and a lot of people, it's like, oh, politics. Want to stay away? It's like, look, I get it. I hate politics too. Yeah. But if we're going to try and solve the biggest problems meaningfully, that's how someone like me winds up running for president. That's how someone like me winds up starting the forward party. Yep. Uh, and, and so we're trying to make the good things happen. Now, you have taken a different tack, which is something that I 1,000% endorse and support and am uh, an investor in and a board member of and very helpful. But you identified a problem and then started a benevolent B Corp to try and solve that problem and create a win-win-win. So yes. what is the problem and then what the heck is Samaritan? So let me back, I'll back up one step. And that essentially my takeaways, both before I joined the campaign and during the campaign, and even now in starting Samaritan, is that doing good by the numbers and also my personal experience, it's not in great shape. And don't get me wrong, there's amazing nonprofit organizations I love that do fantastic work. And I want to be very, we got to be very clear here. We're not talking about if you're a nonprofit executive listening to this, you're like, wait, my organization does incredible work. Screw you, Zach. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the institution and its systems. Um, and the numbers are, the proof's in the pudding. Um, household giving is down um, and has been declining. Now, some of that's economy related, but a percentage of households as a whole giving is going down as well. Amount of Americans volunteering, massively declining. We all say <laughs> we want, you've asked somebody, 
do you want to volunteer this year? Are you going to volunteer this year? The answer is yes. Almost 100% of people say, yes, I'm going to volunteer. That's like, are you an asshole question? Um, we all say, yes, no, I'm not. A, no, I'm not a jerk. Yes, I'm going to volunteer. The reality is one in four people will volunteer this year. Um, and that's, it's kind of the, the same thing you see with companies. We say we're doing awesome things, but the reality is we got to make money. Well, well, part of the reason why so few people will actually volunteer is that you're not sure your time's going to be uh, well utilized. Nailed it. Like yes. you show up and a lot of these organs would be like, narf, you know, like, <laughs> they, don't, again, they want money. No one's fault. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, it just, I, I mean, I, I actually volunteered for a nonprofit as a 20 something year old and they had me do something really, you know, like I, I literally, um, uh, stuffed envelopes and then sealed the envelopes. Correct. I, I like ran out of saliva. If you talk to um, nonprofits, they will not, they, if you really get them in an honest environment, they're like, most of the time we don't need volunteers. Yeah. yeah. Unless some organizations like suit up, like they're actually set up to, to utilize, to utilize volunteers, but most are not. Um, and that's, so the problem I'm looking at, like on the macro level is that philanthropy does what I call a feel good model. And, and what do I mean by that is that if you're wealthy or if you're a big company, if you have resources, nonprofits will come to you and say, look at these starving children. Look at this horrible problem. Aren't you not a jerk? And you have money. Can't you help us? And don't get me wrong. That does work some way in terms of getting resources to places. Um, but it's not. It treats a symptom. It doesn't treat the cure. And so like, taking a big step back, y'all, like, how do we look at this system? Like, how do we get... How do we get beyond the feel good? Um, the average corporate corporation gives one percent of their profits to charity a year, which is a lot. Don't get me wrong; like they're giving the fact they're giving they're anything zero, yeah. is is fantastic, but it's not fundamental to anything they do. And the reality is, Coca Cola would give more to charity, more than one percent, if it helped them sell more Coca Cola, or if it solved a problem, or if it them. solved a problem for them that was helping themselves. Um, you know, sell more Coke. And that's not, that's what it's fundamentally set up to do. So what I, what I'm trying to f create here is a shift from the feel good model to an incentives model. An efficacy um, model. And, and yeah, it's a good way to put it as well, where Coca-Cola has more incentive to support great causes. Now that's tricky. And if you talk to folks that work in the nonprofit industry, there's a certain purity that they value where it's like, we are here to help and that's it. We don't care about making money. We care about doing good. That is true. That is a good thing. That said, there's a way to align these incentives, especially if you have government that's ineffective. Coca-Cola does care about education. The employees of that company and executives most of the time actually care about living in a great world and having great schools for kids and other kids to go to. So how do you align these incentives? Um, so that's really landed with Samaritan. He's like, what... Can there be for-profit incentives of company to help nonprofit goals and ambitions and social causes? Yeah, you get that one percent up to uh, 1.5, percent, three percent. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. We're talking you double about, the market. We're talking about billions of dollars. Yes. So how do you do this? And then, like, you really think about it is like, okay, what does Habitat for Humanity, as an example, nonprofit? What do they have to offer Coca-Cola? In terms let, of let's use another one, man. Let's use Humanity Forward. Yeah. What does Humanity Forward have to add value to Delta or various industries, various companies um, in an incentive-aligned way? And where we've landed is what we found. And what we found is what do charities have? They have a lot of supporters. Um, and in many ways, they have passionate supporters. They have the ability to cut through the noise differently. So 
Where Samarity is right now, it's a, a version of a market research company. Um, so what we're doing is we're helping nonprofits raise money by polling their supporters. Um, so how it works right now, if you're a nonprofit and uh, you have, let's call it, you have your email list, you have your social media followers, you have your volunteer events, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of asking them for money like you normally do. Or, or the telling course, them about your awesome work, which you also do. Right. Um, we give you a custom email or custom survey link that you can send and share with all your supporters. And for every person who completes that survey, the nonprofit unlocks a donation. Uh, donations vary, usually on average one to five bucks. And as a nonprofit, you keep the data. You can. We are essentially like an outsourced donor research, supporter research service. You get all this data because it's yours. Um, and you also get the money for it. And then the data is secure. It's anonymous. And what we are as a market research firm we package it all up anonymously and put together market research reports that your Deltas and Coca-Colas and Amazons and JD Powers, et cetera, are interested in paying for. And we share the profits, of course, with nonprofits. And if you think about this, the dream is your Coca-Cola, you're spending $10 million on market research every year. Can you spend $5 million on that with Samarity? It's the same exact market research but a chunk of it is actually going to charities. So trying to find that win-win. So it's a nice win if you're a nonprofit. We have some nonprofits making thousand bucks a month or so just to send out surveys that many of them want to or should be doing anyways. So it's um, it's it's early now. We're just starting. We're onboarding our first like 100 to 200 nonprofits. But we're pretty excited because we feel like this is the first runway or like entry into aligning the incentives of the for-profit and non-profit world. Well, I, I love it because it's a win-win-win all the way around. Uh, if you're a non-profit, you want to know more about your donors and community anyway. Uh, and so you send the survey, plus you get paid. And if you're a supporter, you say, wait a minute, uh, if I fill out the survey, my nonprofit benefits? Uh, I mean, that that's pretty straightforward and direct and easy. And if you're the company, um, I'm paying for Intel. If I can actually help a nonprofit, maybe get yep. some glow for that, um, then bully for me, uh, how much money is spent on market research as an activity? It is now. This is everything, but it's a multi-multi-billion dollar industry. Um, now that includes like there's a couple. There's lots of different types of market research. There's your uh, your Nielsen reports, where like the the boxes people use for TV ratings is a version of market research. There's your own qualitative and quantitative data, like if you're CVS and you're tracking you know the the self checkout kiosks, so you you get the credit card info and what people are buying. There's that type of market research. Um, but there are still billions, billions of dollars going into just straight up surveys. And it's tough. You think about um, a lot of surveys right now are just people taking surveys for money. Um, and so what we're flipping the model is we're letting nonprofits ask their supporters to take surveys for donations to the cause. And so the, the ideally it's a win-win-win. So the pitch to the consumer, I was a little concerned about this, but if you're a nonprofit supporter, I was like, are you going to be turned off by a random JD Power survey or a survey about running shoes or credit card spending, et cetera? But the reality is we're all people. We get asked those questions all the time. We trust our charity to know it's anonymous. Um, and it's 
we actually had a lot of positive feedback because it's better <laughs> to be asked to fill out a survey than it is to give money all the time. <laughs> and a lot of people are actually willing to share with their friends. If you love your cause, I had friends that are on the suit up team and, and suit up board. They're like, hey, like suit up. If you take this survey, we get money to suit up. Like, please take this, put it on their Instagram story, et cetera. So the good pitch to supporters, the pitch to nonprofits is, hey, you get paid to send an email, to send a survey link. Uh, you maybe should be sending this, uh, doing surveys you get, anyway. You get info that you want um, anyway. You get info and you get money um, at a pretty, really low lift. And it's almost like a recurring revenue stream for nonprofits. Very similar to what Amazon Smile Having a slow month, send that be. survey. Yeah, seriously. And that's what happened. <laughs> and I have nonprofits that put in their newsletter and their email signatures, et cetera, and their social, you know, social media handles, et cetera. And then the pitch to the company is the best one. It's like, hey... I can get you better data because it's real people that we verify with real organizations and there's a trust relationship there that it doesn't normally exist. You verify that it's a real person uh, and you can get it essentially for cheaper because the nonprofits are getting, it's found money to them, right? So it's for the quality of data, it's a better cost to the company too. So it, it really, we believe and we're finding it's a win for everybody. Just right now, it's new, right? We're, this is what we're doing. We're talking a little bit, a couple podcasts and a couple conferences to get the word out to our first 100, 200 nonprofits, put out our first couple flagship reports and seeing what happens. What's fun is you you work with really small nonprofits. You might have modest lists for whom getting 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks a month might be actually pretty meaningful. Yeah, I, I love the the range. Is like I, We have a couple nonprofits with like 1,000 people on their email lists or social followings to certain organizations with a million. Um, and it works for either, right? There's certain benefits to both. Um, if you're a multi-million person, you know, nonprofit or have millions of supporters, getting that information is valuable in itself, right? The money is, is what it is and that's great. But um, getting that info and understanding it, um, almost like I said earlier, like an outsourced donor research arm, as opposed to your smaller nonprofits, actually a good way to grow your email list because you have, you know, let's call it a couple hundred diehard supporters. They take the survey and share it with their friends. So, um, and some of these causes, and you know these causes if you're listening, where literally every dollar somewhat matters is literally going to help somebody. And, and the vision actually grows uh, in the sense that, so this is one way you've discovered to potentially align corporate incentives with helping nonprofits. Yeah. Um, but there are other ways that we can line those incentives up too, right? Yeah, I, I, I hope. Like what's, what's like, if everything goes ideally, what does Samarity become? So the ultimate dream of this is, can we start incentivizing people to do more good? And and I say do more good, more broader than that than that maybe seems. Where do more good is not just hang out and volunteer and donate to more charities. But um, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, so last year when Demar Hamlin passed out on a, or you know collapsed on the football field, it was it was shocking. Obviously, as, as a fan, it's even more shocking. Um, and to me, there was this national moment that I wish we had capitalized more on where. The awareness of CPR training and um, like AED, like the like machines being more publicly accessible and taking CPR courses was so freaking there that any company would have wanted to capitalize on it in a wholesome way that didn't feel cringeworthy. So be able to say, hey, anyone that can take a CPR training right now, 
Coca-Cola is going to pay for that training right now. And we can verify it, verify that you took the course and unlock a donation to XYZ charity of your choice. So being able to build like kind of a, a bigger do good army um, and incentivize folks to do good in ways that are a little less traditional. Uh, that's kind of the dream. And in order to do that, you have to make it easy and accessible for companies to what's called sponsor charities, right? And that's tough. They, I joke like nonprofits speak different language. Like my schools in Harlem where I work in, with Suit Up in, in New York City, they speak a different language than Goldman Sachs speaks and they're 40 blocks away. Dude, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a deep cut on you right now. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, but in a way, what you're trying to do is build an earlier version of digital social credits. <laughs> and the, the lowest hanging fruit activity is to do something that companies already pay for in the form of filling out a survey. But it could be taking that CPR class. Eventually, it could be tutoring the underprivileged kid. It could be helping your neighbor. Yes. And, and we're trying to create that marketplace. And this is uh, the the earliest nexus i think i mean if there's a world where hey you volunteer to help your neighbor and you earn 100 points and you could convince chipotle that those 100 points are worth the free burrito yes. right i think that's a really remarkable way of doing sort of a social credit model and here's the other thing about that is i don't love the government being the like judge jury executioner of what a social credit is worth so if there's a world where the private market can actually evaluate that where it's non-profits and for profits and people shooting. I mean, well, the, I mean, the average company are, right now, when, when they were putting money to work, I mean, the return is just so uh, hard to measure and weird. Oh, like, yeah. like if, if you knew that a human was actually helping their neighbor, tutoring that kid, cleaning the public space, whatever, and you knew it, and then it was verifiable, and then you could have your brand associated anywhere near that, I mean, you'd be all over it. The I problem right now is just that. Uh, you know, it's like we rely upon essentially the company to be like, hey, we did this thing. Here's some photos. Here's like uh, yes. us giving the check, like da-da-da. You know, it's like, and and now uh, trust is eroding um, to a point. It's one reason why this has such profound effects uh, medium to long term is that, you know, who people trust the most, uh, their friends and family. Um, nonprofits yeah. then uh, are much, right much also more trusted. Uh, you know, corporates not so much uh, <laughs> anymore. And so the, what this is a way to do is for a corporate to get involved with helping that nonprofit you love uh, and care about. Eventually, mm -hmm. it's helping your actual friends, family, Customers, community, yeah. I mean, in, in a way that's undeniable because maybe it's you doing it. It's like, hey, I know I did the thing. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the holy grails of all of um, like branding and brand associations, and what's interesting is that the brands are uh, are are trying to respond in various ways to the erosion of trust. So they're investing in their own self generated content. They're like, look, yes. guys, like uh, you know, like uh, us having a snappy ad really is not the answer anymore. People see through that shit. So you know, let's try to do something real. And this is an opportunity for the company to do something real, starting with. Sponsoring that nonprofit's uh, survey stuff, uh, you know, but, oh, yeah. but, but, that, but that's, you know, I mean, that, that's the first stop. And then hopefully it, we create a whole chain of stops. So if there is someone who, uh, let's say, runs a nonprofit or volunteers at a nonprofit, or there's even someone listening to this who 
uh, buys market intelligence or mm. works for a company's marketing arm, how can they get in touch with you and Samarity? So I would, the best place to go, I'd go to Samarity.com slash nonprofits. That's S-A-M-A-R-I-T-Y.com slash nonprofits. That's if you're a nonprofit and you wanted to start earning uh, actual donations for sending easy surveys, you can sign up right there. It's great. There's a little video explains most of the information you need on there and we'll reach out to you. Um, and then you can also email us. It's hello at Samarity.com. Pretty basic. And... You know, just to add on to what you said, Andrew, I want to be clear on this. It's that if there's anything I learned, particularly from my time running Suit Up and and at UBS, is that doing good and giving money to charity in particular, it's really hard. It is to do it effectively. Anyone can write a check, but to do it effectively is a massive challenge. And we joke at the corporate level, we see like Andrew and I, we've heard this multiple times. A CEO will say, hey, we give a million dollars to charity and then we spend another million dollars trying to tell everybody about it and making sure that like people know we're doing it. Um, it's difficult to be effective and true and authentic in this space. And I spent time and probably one of the reasons I really got into this is I met with billionaires all pa- like with seemingly infinity money focused on a cause and they weren't able to solve anything. Nope. Um, we did a at UBS. We did an event called our Autism Innovation Roundtable. And we brought together some of the wealthiest people on the planet with kids on the spectrum. So you got like 10 to 20 billionaires in the room all passionate about the same topic. And we still aren't really able to do much. Um, There's a lot of hurdles and I've had to give talks on this, et cetera, but it's, charity's hard. Uh, Measuring social impact is hard. These are, some of these problems are are human level problems, right? So, um, but if we have a vehicle where it's just a little bit of incentive, uh, lined up between the people making the money and the people giving it away. I feel like that's a big win. So yeah, Samaritan.com slash nonprofits is the best place to go. Hello at Samaritan.com if you want to email us. And look, I'm a big believer in putting yourself out there, trying, failing, seeing what happens. The worst thing that's going to happen right now is we're going to have a bunch of nonprofits get some money for sending some surveys. The best thing that's going to happen is you're going to have Coca-Cola writing million dollar checks to an organization and a vast majority of that's going to go to charity. Um, and they're going to increase how much they spend, and it won't just be Coca-Cola. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. The best-case scenario is moving us a step closer to a human-centered economy. Uh, And I I love that you've tackled it in this way where we're not waiting for, let's say, government to get its shit together, Uh, you know, like find corporates for whom it makes sense, find nonprofits, find nonprofit supporters for whom it makes sense, put them together, build an awesome business – uh, hopefully improve a lot of lives uh, and um, really pumped to be able to be helpful to you on this leg of your journey. Uh, people who are close to the campaign know that you're the reason why Yang 2020 became a thing. Check out Zach's book, Long Shot, on the, on the campaign. Riveting stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, fun. My but, father-in-law read it and con- – or not my father. Sorry, my brother's father-in-law. Sorry. No, let me rephrase that. My brother's father-in-law pulled me up, pulled me aside at the wedding. I was like, I read your book and I actually liked it. And he's the kind of guy that'll tell you if he hates something. So that's the best compliment I got. So ringing endorsement from my brother's father-in-law for whatever that's worth. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but our campaign was a leg in your journey, uh, and the sky's the limit for you, Zach, in terms of the good you can do in the world. Anyone who's listened to this story is like, well, Zach definitely is sincere about doing good because he's been at it for uh, years and years and years, well, thanks, and, man. and and that's why you 
managed Yang 2020, as you said, look, uh, this is an opportunity to maybe move us in a better direction. So is Samarity, my friend, and we'll be there with you every step of the way. Thanks, man. It's a privilege to be on. Hope you all can find it useful, and we'll I'll come back when we've either hopefully when we we've uh, we're rocking and rolling, man. It's a household name. Oh that's yeah, the, no, the, this will be. Hey guys, help Zach and Samarity rock and roll so that when he returns <laughs> to the podcast, it'll I don't be, have to be embarrassed. one of those um, Shark Tank type happy endings. You know what I mean? Like, hey, he came to da da. Then like came back. On, on, no, I got something like new now. No. <laughs> Awesome, man. 